from the LA Times Studios, this is Asian Enough. Each week on this podcast, we talk to one Asian American celebrity about the joys, the complications, and everything else that comes along with being Asian American. I'm Jen Yamato. And I'm Frank Shaw. This week on episode five of our podcast, we're joined by ESPN's Mina Kimes. She's a sports analyst, the host of ESPN's flagship podcast, ESPN Daily. She's famous. Her dog is famous. I have always loved sports, but I never aspired to be in sports as a career. Never aspired to be on television, never aspired to do commentary. Just didn't seem like something that somebody like me would even do. We will talk to Mina about the Asian athletes that Asian Americans love to root for, why racist trolls don't bother her, and she has a bad Asian confession that personally shocked me. We recorded this podcast at ESPN Studios right next to Staples Center in downtown Los Angeles. It was back when the Lakers and Clippers were still playing, back before this global pandemic hit us. Those were simpler days. But we hope this episode will give you a little break from the crazy news swirling around us. And even if we can't watch sports right now, it was fascinating to hear Mina's experiences as a rare Asian-American woman in sports journalism. So, on to our chat with Mina Kimes. So, we want to start out by talking about your career, which is really interesting to me. You've made some big changes moving from investigative business journalism to long-form sports writing and then pivoting to hosting, podcasting, and commentating. And these are all really hard fields to break into. Could you tell us about these transitions and, you know, was was sports journalism something you're always headed towards? None of these jobs were ones that I was <laughs> headed towards or ones that I ever aspired to do. You know, I kind of fell into all of them. Um, so now that I've alienated everyone right from the jump <laughs> <laughs> who wants to do these things, um, yeah, no, I... I thought I was going to be like you guys, like an arts writer or more cultural criticism was kind of interesting to me out of college. And then I fell into business journalism through an internship for a magazine called Fortune Small Business. Got a job at Fortune Magazine out of college writing about finance and investing, moved to doing features, uh, then moved to doing investigative features, moved to Bloomberg News where I was on their investigative team. And I have always loved sports, but I never aspired to be in sports as a career. Never aspired to be on television, never aspired to do commentary. But ESPN reached Why out not? to me. Um, just didn't really seem like an option for me. Just didn't seem like something that somebody like me would even do, quite frankly. Um, but, but along those lines, you know, I don't think business journalism seemed like an option to me either. I mean, when I was in college, it just didn't occur to me. So ESPN kind of made the, came up with the idea for me. They hired me in 2014 as a features writer. After reading your, your piece about your dad? Yeah. So yeah. I wrote a personal essay about football and editor there named Megan Greenwell reached out and said, oh, you, you seem, you seem like football. <laughs> you tweet about it a lot. It's a lot of dumb stuff. No, she didn't say that, but that's the accurate depiction of my Twitter. Everyone's and um, yeah. So, you know, I know I was kind of like ostensibly a serious financial journalist at the time, but um, football and sports more broadly was my passion. So I I was well, 29 or something, I suppose. Yeah, decided to make the leap, which was pretty terrifying. What did you grow up wanting to be, like as a kid? A uh, painter. Oh. Yeah, and I still paint <laughs> not well. I'm not a good painter, but I do like watercolors sometimes. Of football players. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So do you draw them too then? or? 
Yeah, I do a lot of things. I etch a sketch. I, uh, which is, I know, insane. And then I sometimes like I'll just get a gift, like a little watercolor set or something, and I'll just use it up and then buy another one. That's awesome. What football players do you have? Paintings well, I did a of? series of Philip Rivers last <laughs> year, just because I like he's so emotive, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, super just sweaty, funny looking. Yeah. And then I did them all, and I said, "Well, I don't want these," so I just auctioned them off for a homeless a charity here that works with homelessness. They work on Skid Row. It's a great. It's called Compassion Through Action. And I was sh- shocked that somebody wanted them and <laughs> for a reasonable <laughs> amount of money. So I did it again this year. Oh, my gosh. So you do this regular. Wow, that's cool. How much money did you make, if you don't mind me asking? <laughs> um, well, this year I did. So I did a Korean one. I, I, I'm obsessed with the kicker, Young Hwai Koo. Oh, yeah. So I painted him after the night of three onside kicks. It's a legendary <laughs> night in NFL history. Uh, and then I did a few others, like Marshawn Lynch, just guys I liked. And I think I sold five of them, maybe, or something. Is either five or six, but I raised like $3,500. Wow. Wow. So you're definitely a painter <laughs> then. Like, if you're selling your paintings uh, for $3,500, yeah. like, come I don't on. Know. I don't know. <laughs> Let's add painter to the bio. Thank you. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tacovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. If you want to take your company from 2 million to 10 million, or 10 million to hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools to turbocharge your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business. Finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. That means that you can run your entire business from anywhere, even if you're working from home. With NetSuite, you're covered. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 20,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Six Ways to Run a More Profitable Business, at netsuite.com slash enough. NetSuite. Business grows here. So a lot of these these areas of coverage that you've worked in both in print and now you know covering sports professional sports they're very white spaces they're very male spaces did they ever feel that way like when you were entering each one of those arenas well i would say sports is a little different because it's the actual people who cover aren't white Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so right it's like the media side the media side is although it's definitely less than less white than business it's as male Mm. And in finance in particular, which I covered. So, you know, I think when I moved to sports, it was a bit of a change in that I found it to be more diverse. And I think I appreciated the difference in the industry while recognizing that it was probably more like business than anything. Mm. Although, I don't know. I've never worked as a political journalist or... Yeah, I I, I've n- I haven't either, actually. <laughs> but so. uh, I, w- I would imagine it's pretty... Well, like you do football analysis specifically, right? Is it hard to get old white guys to listen to you about football? Like, how do you do that? 
Um, you know, it's funny because there are so many different aspects to the challenge that are sort of intersectional, right? Because I would say it's more challenging as a woman than an Asian person to operate in my field and to sort of normalize, I guess, mm -hmm. my presence in a lot of spaces. That is the bigger hurdle. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's also given me advantages as well. I think there's, you know, a lot of enthusiasm for some difference in representation. I think it's given me opportunities as well that I've really tried to take advantage of. But both as a woman and as an Asian person, I think it's just put the onus on me to over-prepare and probably put more pressure on myself than anyone else is putting on me, whether it's initially writing about football, to commenting, to doing analysis, to doing color commentary, to being on television, the way I've I, I tackled <laughs> uh, all of those uh, challenges has just been to try to know more than anyone would ever expect me to know. Yeah, that really comes through in your analysis. Thank you. Well, and then you did this for uh, New York Times. You did like my, my week, basically, oh, like yeah. a diary. And I was like, how does she... Yeah. Leap. You're busy. <laughs> well, you know, the thing about that, too, is I left out most of what I actually do during the day, which is just reading and studying. Mm -hmm. Like, I think people, and this is not just me, this is anyone in my field, any analyst, like most of our time is either watching sports and taking notes or reading or talking to people and just preparing. Yeah. Like you see 10% of the actual preparation that goes into a single hot take. <laughs> I don't, but and that, what I'm saying is probably not true of every, everyone, mm -hmm. um, but I think it's true of a fair amount of people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's certainly true of most of the women I meet in this field. Kind of having to over-prepare so you don't have any stats that you don't know. And well, like if that. I fuck up a name, I'm going to get it. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas uh, other, like a male it's, colleague of mine is not going to in the same way. It's not going to be a big deal. Right? That pressure. You've done a lot of long-form sports journalism, which I've read. You know, Aaron Rodgers, Luka Doncic. Um, and then you did these, like, amazing stories about Korean esports and Korean bat flipping. The first esports story I wrote for ESPN the magazine was, I believe, in 2015. And it was about a 19-year-old Korean kid named Faker. That was, that's his gamer tag, not his real name. Uh, who was the best League of Legends player in the world. Then, I want to say a couple years later, I wrote another eSports story about uh, a girl named Gayguri in Korea who played Overwatch, plays Overwatch, who was so good, people thought she was cheating. The final story, well, I hope not final, but I also went to Korea uh, and spent some time there to write about Korean baseball in particular to try to understand why Korean baseball players have such glorious and prolific bat flips. Why, why, why Korean stories? Mm. When did you start doing them? Well, they were total boondoggles because I got to go to Korea three times and see my family members on ESPN's time. Excellent. Yeah. But did Saw you, did you like, pitch those out. stories? Were, did, were you uh, bringing them no, in? No, actually, so it is uh, one of them, yes. So the first esports story I did was in, I want to say 2015. We as a company had not been covering esports before then. Um, and... They, by they, I mean the editors kind of came to me and they said, well, we would like to do a feature about this. We're doing an issue. Can you tell us who to write about? Whatever, you know, it's your choice. So that it wasn't my idea to write about mm -hmm. esports. So I spent like a week or so just, re which I had the luxury to do as a features writer. And I know 
it's very luxurious <laughs> to actually just kind of learn about the space and figure out mm-hmm. what would work. And playing video games or any at all? <laughs> no, I didn't play a lot. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, you have to be like such an authority in so many different spaces within sports to add esports to that. That's yeah, also like a very male expertise driven. It is, now. but it's different because as a features writer, it's very different from being like an analyst. Like where mm-hmm. no one, you actually don't have to be an expert. You just have to do the research, right? Like in the process of doing that story, nobody would expect me to have theories about strategy and game yeah. strategy, mm-hmm. or you know be opinionated about that. They just expect me to talk to people who are smart and trust them and synthesize that information. Anyways, I there were a few American English articles about gaming, a couple of features, and really hadn't been a lot. And um, every time I would read these articles, they'd be about like a North American team, whether it was League of Legends, which is the game I ended up writing about. And then there would always be a line in the story where the Koreans would just show up and kick their ass. So I went back to ESPN. I was like, I think I should write about Koreans. (laughs) And then from there, I found out this one kid in particular was the best. So yeah, I kind of just, my approach was to just write about it like we would write about a young LeBron or Mm -hmm. any other prodigy, I suppose, in sports. And this gamer's name is Giguri? Uh, This was Faker. So this is my very first story. So I learned all about, I think, the various tensions you know, because features is all about finding tensions and, and that's what drives a story, a good story. But all the tensions associated with gaming in Korea, Korean culture. I mean, I was very interested not only, okay, who is this kid and why is he so good? But why are Koreans in particular yeah. so good at this? You know, you're not born with a gaming gene. So I I'm, I think the socioeconomic and cultural reasons to me were as fascinating as anything else. So that that's how I ended up in Korea the first time. Mm. Second time was about Giguri, who's mm-hmm. another Korean player. And that one, the, the tension in the piece was very obvious because she was a woman and had been through a very kind of interesting... I love incident. that story. Oh, yeah, thank you so too. much. That I was, appreciate that. That was amazing. Oh, thank you. Well, that And so that one was just kind of... That actually, though, again, Korea ended up playing a big part in the story as a country because um, I, at the time, was very interested in Korean feminism and sort of this nascent movement in Korea. And I, and I knew a fair amount just from family and my own reading about sort of the complicated history of feminism in Korea. And so I was very interested in looking at the story through that lens. And then my final piece was not my idea, the Batflips thing. Mm -hmm. Um, There was an editor who said, well, you know, we'd like to do something on these great, we get these great videos of Korean Batflips. And, you know, we don't know what this is, but we think they're great and the internet loves them. And it's actually, again, similar to the Faker thing where I said, well, I just want to know why. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of turned into a mystery because nobody could give me a satisfactory answer as to why. So I was like, well, I guess they got to go to Korea for 10 minutes. <laughs> um, Disney's dime. So and that was, was not really the first time you went to Korea though, right? Uh, as a person? As a no, person, no, yeah. I had been as a child and with and my family. Yeah. Just to do a little Korean bat flip Let's explanation, <laughs> I guess. Uh, bat flipping in Major League Baseball is considered like too ostentatious and it's like peacocking and it's like you're full of yourself. But in Korea, you know, people uh, have incredibly outlandish and colorful bat flips mm-hmm. and it's an appreciated part of the sport. And sometimes Korean players take it to the MLB and other players take it to the MLB and with varying results from MLB fans. Oh, and on the flip side, and this was honestly my, one of my favorite parts of the story, white players will go to Korea like a pitcher and they'll be like, what the hell? <laughs> And then um, the, the Korean teammates would be like, oh, yeah, it's just like a thing we do here. So you got to really, you know, it's okay. No, but that was a really fun story because it was, 
again, Korea became a character in the story because um, so much of the reason why, which is how I'm always trying to find the why, ended up having to do with the history of the sport in Korea, the relationship with Japanese baseball, the desire to get away from, you know, and obviously there's a complicated history with those, mm-hmm. with the countries and Colors such. It, yeah. So um, I became as interested in that as Batflips. Yeah, and I was just going to mention the Chen Ho Park detail in the story, who was like a famous uh, Korean player who came to the Dodgers. And he was reprimanded for asking a fellow Dodger to soap his back, which was like a, a custom in, in Korean <laughs> locker rooms. So, uh, My mom was so pumped <laughs> I met Chan Ho Park. You guys don't even know. Koreans know. Yeah. Like, he's like a god to Koreans. We When he came to the Dodgers, I don't know what year it was. But it was like Fernando. Mania. Yeah. Yeah. 90 something. I, my mom like would clip newspaper articles about him. And, you know, if you if you go to Korean restaurants, you'll see still, I think, in L.A. sometimes newspaper clippings about Chan Ho Park. I see like Chan Ho Park autographs like on the wall yeah, <laughs> or whatever. Totally. So. <laughs> um, yeah, it was awesome. And my mom was like, take a picture with him. I'm like, no, mom, I'm a professional. She's like, take one. I was like, fine, I'll take one. My The time my mom has been the most impressed with my professional career is when Jackie Chan came to the LA Times and I got a photo with him. She's like, she sent that around to all her friends. <laughs> you like. made it. <laughs> uh, Your mom sounds awesome. She's, she loves sports, by the way. So she's super into all of this. So what was it like visiting Korea as an adult? you know, and doing these mm. stories? Um, well, shameful, because my Korean is terrible. Uh, but when you're half Korean, no one really cares. Uh, yeah, if you can this speak like it, it's like... Thing. Right. right, we can get into that. But, uh, right, even if you speak a little bit, you're like a hero. They're super impressed. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's like, um, I have a Korean flag tattoo on my left shoulder. And once I was at a Korean wedding, some friends of mine is a Korean-American girl, and... It's like every Ajuma was like, well, first of all, tattoos are kind of complicated in Korean culture, but we, associated with crime a bit, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, known gangster, me and cops. So we were in the US <laughs> and they were like so pumped. I think because I'm half Korean, mm. like, yeah, you chose us. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, the pride. You, you go there yeah. and if you speak a little bit of Korean, as a half Korean, it's very different from. Um, and so it's I like I Mark Zuckerberg going to China and speaking Chinese and everyone's like, whoa. Yeah, like but a white know, dude. Yeah. I'm sure your Korean's better than my Japanese, which is actually non-existent. And Nothing. I carry so much guilt about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but to go back to your question, I guess, about going to Korea as an adult, you know, it, it was interesting because, um, you know, I was trying to report stories. But I think um, whenever I go there, Whenever I've been there, I've also it's been a time for like self reflection, and because um, I get I haven't gotten that many opportunities. I guess I've gotten a few, but uh, so it's always like a weird kind of combination of work with an inter a personal journey, and I and I think Epiphanies, sometimes that bl- that epiphanies. probably bleeds into my writing a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I like that even the reason that like you got into sports writing has to do with a very personal story that you told. For sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, what what kind of stuff do you, like, spend time with family and go, go to grave yes. sites and stuff like that? Yeah, so I usually, I mean, every time I've been there, I will see my family. It's funny yeah. because, again, my Korean's not good, so I've hired translators for stories. Mm-hmm. I work with mm-hmm. a translator usually, and then I'm like, hey, you want to come to dinner with my family so you can translate? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, 
Um, no, I want to learn stuff when I go back too. You yeah. Know, I want to like figure out because my parents don't tell me everything. So yeah, yeah, for sure. When did you learn Korean? Well, this was my uh, shame. Dude. I've quit Korean lessons twice. Saturday <laughs> school as a kid probably lasted about four or five months. And then as an adult, I took Korean lessons again. And I actually got decent. And this was in New York. But then I faded off when I moved to L.A. I mean, Saturday Chinese school is like a terrible idea. Or Saturday language school is just a terrible yeah, why, idea. Don't like, Asian parents realize that's just going to make their children resent? Yeah. You're never going to pick language over like the <laughs> cartoons that play on Saturday morning. So yeah. it's like, um, I, I also get that. quit. Like, you did? Yeah, I also quit at <laughs> oh, the age wow. of 16. And then, and then I had to report on the San Gabriel Valley, which is a very Chinese area here. And I had to use it a lot. And I was like, yeah. oh, my mom was right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah so. totally. Yeah. And there's been moments when I've been reporting in Korea, like in, like in a cab. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is that moment when I wish I didn't quit. Where did you grow up? I know you, your family moved around a bit and you have such loyalty to the Seattle yeah. Sports team. My dad's from Seattle. Yeah. But I, I grew up all over. He was in the military. Yeah. So I was born in Nebraska. I uh, lived in Arizona, California twice, uh, Virginia, Michigan, Connecticut, and did it back New York, then here. Oh, wow. That is a lot. A bunch of places. Wow. That's a lot of moving around. Um, all on mili- all on Air Force bases and stuff? Some of them, yeah. I see. Um, There's so many words to use to describe mixed race identity, Hapa, mixed, half Asian, bicultural. Which one do you use and why? I, do, I, yeah. yeah, no, I use Hapa. Uh-huh. I don't know why. Uh, I've never thought about that. Hapa like has a Hawaiian context too. where, where they, Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But also it's just become this catch-all in the way people use it for, for being half Asian. Yeah. yeah. It's the only one that also like explicitly means half Asian. Yeah, yeah versus just halfy or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> People have called you halfy before. Wait, what? I've really? Heard, I've heard it all. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I When I was very young, people knew I was Asian. Probably because, you know, I was around my mom a lot too. Mm-hmm. And I think just my appearance. Then when I was in my teens and maybe early 20s, people didn't really identify me that way as much. And then more recently, maybe in my late 20s or now, um, people identify me more often as Asian. I don't know why. Did did you want to be identified as Asian? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I have a Korean flag tattoo, which is a pretty good, that was actually (laughs) part of the reason I got that one. Um, How old were you when you got it? 20s, I can't remember exactly. But that was part of the reason I wanted people to see it. People have trouble identifying, you know, half Asians to be Asian and... Sometimes, yeah. More than, yeah. Growing up, my brother looked more Asian than me. But I also more recently, like just being on TV, oh, I get right. identified way more often as Asian. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting when I see myself on TV, I'm like, yeah, I do look really Asian. <laughs> maybe it's the makeup. Maybe it's the fact that there aren't other Asians. Um, you know, and people say all kinds of like wild stuff to me, right, on the internet. And Oof, um, yeah. mostly, usually it's like women's stuff, but... Sometimes they'll get like a racist Asian thing. And I'm like, thank you for seeing that I'm Asian. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I'm not Chinese. Or, you know, um, This but, racism was accurate. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you actually nailed it. Do you guys, because Frank, I'm sure you've gotten stuff like that too. Mm. Like I still get terrible trolly 
racist and misogynist comments, mm. mm-hmm. just about like writing stories. I know that a story of mine has hit the print edition because I get the worst comments. Really? Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Is that for yeah, you? no, there's certain like racist readers who like know my like greatest insecurity and then like loudly yell at me in all caps. But I like to, I take some satisfaction in knowing that so many of them are clearly print subscribers. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Certain times a day, if you're on television, you're more likely to But uh, actually, so for me, my, I I feel the same way as you, but my greatest insecurity is more like getting something wrong or something. And Mm -hmm. if I'm like almost on the verge of that and somebody catches that, it's terrifying. Whereas, um, you know, I, I I don't feel, my Asian-ness is something I'm so, like I said, I'm actually just really freaking thrilled mm. when people notice that. So if I, I weirdly like, I'm like, it doesn't, it's one of the things that when it's said to me, it doesn't hurt at all. Mm. I mean, it hurts on a societal level because you're like, holy shit, it's 2020. Mm-hmm. And this, these people are still out there. What is happening? And it's kind of weird and scary. And you're like, yeah, no crap, turn on the news. But, um, <laughs> But I, but on a personal level, it doesn't hit at all. Right. It's it's almost like a like oh you you recognize that I'm Asian. It's like, like the other great. day, um, someone called me a bimbo or something, and I was like, "Yo, I wish I could go back and tell my 14 year old self that someone was going to call me a bimbo." <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry you about. You will it. never believe this. <laughs> Take off the rubber bands off your braces and just wait. Now, uh, Asians uh, like love to root for other Asians in sports. You know, Pretty, yeah. Like I, I can't really. Des- I've tried to describe the feeling I feel when watching like Jeremy Lin play basketball. And I just can't really <laughs> do it. You know. Um, but uh, you, you and Pablo did this really funny bit uh, for ESPN involving an Asian athlete shrine. Could you tell us about that? Yeah. So um, Pablo Torre and I, I was filling in. He, he was hosting a show called High Noon. I was filling in with him. Uh, the first time we did it, actually, we did a bit. So Pablo's Filipino. When we walked into the studio, we were talking casually, and then um, we just took off our shoes and walked into the studio and didn't talk about it. <laughs> and it was really funny to see, like, which corners of the internet got it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then the second time, or I don't know if it's the second time, but another time I was on the show, we did, we did a whole bit about the Asian athletes that we've identified and how we had made a shrine for all of them, including some, you know, surprising ones. So who's on there? God, I can't remember. I mean, like Heinz Ward, you know, yeah, yeah. who's not surprising. I think everyone knows that he's Korean. But um, and then some obvious, like your Lins, your mm-hmm. I think Chan Ho was on there. Mm-hmm. Um, we just added Taylor Rapp, who's safety with the Rams, who's Chinese. What? Um, yeah, dude, he's good too. <laughs> he's really good. Oh, seriously? Yeah, okay, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna stand. I, I want to know where that shrine is now. I do too. <laughs> it was in the New York studio. Shout out to the producers who had to make that in like 30 minutes for us. But yeah, like, why do you think it's such a big deal for Asians to see Asians succeeding yeah. at sports? But just because there are not that many, and look, Asian kids grow up loving sports just as much as anyone, but. You know, when you don't see people 
succeeding at the highest levels who look like you, it sometimes never even occurs to you yeah. to bring things kind of full circle, I guess, that that might be an option for you. So for a kid who loves playing basketball or football or soccer or whatever, it's really thrilling and exciting and inspiring. You grew up playing sports. I played soccer. Yeah. I played soccer and softball. Nice. I love football. I also watched football with my dad when I was young. Jen was then, voted the most athletic in high school, okay. too, wow. by the way. Can to reveal that detail? Most right. athletic. Yeah. It was a small high school. Um, <laughs> and that, the, the promise of that, of that title went away when I tore both of my ACLs. Oh, my God. So, geez, sorry. That was a very far, far away version of me. But I love sports. And yet, like, I distinctly remember when I was a kid growing up, um, the only times I feel like I saw Asian people in sports were when the Winter Olympics were on. Yeah. yeah. Like, Christy Yamaguchi was huge yeah. when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. yeah, Koreans, you know? we stay crushing it at speed skating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When but. when Michelle Kwan uh, didn't win the gold, I was like I'm four. Still outraged. I was I'm mad still about outraged. it as like a four year old. Honestly, you know? and Kim, you know, I was robbed too, but whatever. We don't have to get into that and relitigate it here, but you know. Well, where um, are the Asians in like major American professional sports? Like, why aren't there more? Yeah, you know, it's complicated. There's social reasons, there's economic reasons, there's cultural reasons. Mm -hmm. It depends on the sport as well, I think. Is that a thing that you find yourself wanting to? discuss more in your work, both when you're interviewing people or like writing pieces? I mean, I'm always looking for these kinds of stories, I think, in a way that maybe someone who's not as, doesn't come from our backgrounds might not be. I mean, I, I know I just joked about me getting three boondoggles to go to Korea for ESPN and kind of falling <laughs> into it. But like, I seek out those kinds of stories yeah. and continue to do so. I think even something like Pablo and I joking around, it's not a story per se, but it is something that would never happen in any other context unless you had two Asian people mm -hmm. hosting a show together. Yeah, yeah, um, that's such a huge deal to see like inside jokes on ESPN. It's an inside joke, right? It's because yeah. the shrine, the concept of the shrine and like being obsessed with a Asian athletes, every Asian sports fan knows that. Like we all are in group chats where we're like, you know, yo, Kyla Murray's a quarter Korean, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah, yeah, you know? And no, they, like, People you know, hate you, me on Dodgers Twitter because I like my Dodgers tweets are all about how we shouldn't have traded our Asian players regardless of strategy <laughs> or whatever. So. That's funny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like it's almost like fantasy football, except for Asians. Yeah. You're only paying attention to the Asians. I'll also just always root for the Asian. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Who, who, what Asians are yeah. you following in sports right now? Who are you rooting for? Well, Sun, he just got her, of course, on the Tottenham soccer player, Hingman Sun, who's freaking awesome. My mom's obsessed with him, too. So, you know, all any football player I find out, you know, like even like Kyler's on a divisional rival to my beloved Seahawks, but I can't root against him, <laughs> even though he's just a little free. <laughs> There's a bunch of guys in basketball, too. Yeah, uh, what was it? Rui Hachimura. There's a Japanese basketball player right he now. He was on Terrace seen. House this season. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> he yeah. was awesome. Yeah, he was so good on Terrace yeah. House. And he was like, Kenta Maeda was on Terrace yeah. House, too, and they were like throwing <laughs> shade at each other. Yeah. Dodgers pitcher Kenta Maeda, well, no longer anymore. So. Right. Uh, Hachimura said that Maeda pretended like he introduced him to Terry yeah. And I was like, God, I would kill to see this group text. Yeah. Like elite Japanese athletes. You've said that your mom was is always proud to see Asians yeah. excelling. Just in the culture. Just totally. whatever, whatever sphere Anything. that's in. Yeah. Any Asian anywhere. 
Was you she know, always like that? Was she like always when like Parasite one? Yes. Like a national holiday in my house. Yeah, that was so interesting. I mean, yeah. I you guys can speak to like Koreans are extremely like that. Love Korean things. Like it yes, and also <laughs> if any Korean succeeds, they instantly become the national pride. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like shared Small culture country. around East Asians, you know, uh, but you know, everyone else is like, oh, we share culture, but Koreans are like, this is a Korean thing, born in Koreanness, you know, Koreans forged are, by Koreanness. They're, they're very nationalists, you know, you know? <laughs> um, and it, we're like, we're small. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. yeah. <laughs> One question I wanted to put to you is like, who is the greatest Asian American athlete of all time? Do oh people ask you things like that? I've never been asked that. Mm. It's so challenging, right? Because there's like tennis players, there's yeah, baseball, golf. It's probably, oh, it's probably could like a be a pitcher. Player. Could be a. It's pitcher. probably like a female golfer. I like mm. that answer. Um, we find yeah, another thing Korean women shred at. Chan Ho Park might. Did he ever win the Cy Young or anything? Or no? Hmm. Racism. <laughs> <I'm just> <laughs> Michelle Kwan. <laughs> I think it would be it's Michelle probably, Kwan. Yeah, yeah that she feels was, safe. She was dominant. Um, okay, I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna slightly deviate from this big <laughs> big question to ask like how do, do issues of race and identity come up for you in in the newsroom setting? Yeah, like and then do you feel because I feel this a lot um, in even just in my section in a lot, a lot of the outlets that I've written for covering movies like. I feel this intense responsibility, it's self-created, obviously, to speak up, to, to, to like speak up for the Asian American community or even like women of color when the, the, the conversation in the newsroom is a little more ignorant than it should be. Yeah, I mean, so like, you know, Asians succeeding in sports, we got, you know, the chink in the armor headline. Oh, numerous, headlines like yeah, that. Cultural mm-hmm. gaps, yeah. you know, um, with respect to the, you know, South Korean Olympics recently. Stories about eating dogs and stuff like that. Why, why do you think that happens? Why, why, why does racism still exist? <laughs> <laughs> kind of is the question. Uh, yeah, well, I think the, yeah. the examples that kind of we were bringing up, is yeah. a lot of it is ignorance. And, you know, I, I think also... In the sports world in particular, there's a much more advanced or I would say not advanced, but more widespread conversation about sexism and racism not pertaining to Asians. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there just aren't that many of us to, I think, be voices when it comes up. It also comes up less frequently because there are simply fewer Asians in sports, not mm-hmm. just in sports media. Right. But yeah. but that also kind of means they're less experienced at talking about it, Asian-ness. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's true. When's a, a time you had to discuss like an Asian player on, on an hmm. ESPN show? Or yeah, like a- I know. It's funny. I'm trying to think like a notable incident, you know, in the last, because I wasn't working at ESPN when the Lynn stuff happened and there were remarks, mm. not just the, the headline type. Yeah, yeah. No, beyond that, there were other athletes saying mm. ignorant stuff. I certainly am called upon more often to represent or not called upon, feel what you just described, perhaps the self-imposed mm. need to be a voice on issues relating to women and discrimination against women or sexism or um, women's issues. And now that you're saying this, I do wonder, I think I would be asked. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't that many of us. Yeah, and yeah. I think I probably would get that call. Mm-hmm. But I can't. I can't think of anything in recent, unfortunately. 
do you guys have like a Asian slack? <laughs> you know, like we have an Asian slack where. Okay, we, sometimes- we should preface this. Maybe there's a secret Asian American slack at the LA Times. Maybe there is one. Yeah. It is like a safe space. Yeah. And we just. For people you know, to talk. It's a safe place to just speak frankly about anti Asian yeah. racism. Yeah. I mean, you kind of talked about having like group texts with your I do. Asian friends. Yeah. I have also at ESPN and then outside of ESPN. Some Asian sports writers. We mentioned our friend Jake King, mm. uh, Pablo. I mean, he's in Yankees, but but definitely, I'm in some groups where we. It's funny, right? Because when you talk about these Asian group texts, on one level, it sounds like okay. Well, is this where everyone brings their grievances? <laughs> and trust me, we've got grievances. Like, yeah. we'll. I think we just notice things that other people mm. might not notice yeah. that catch our eye. Like, mm, really. Mm, okay, then that's what you're gonna say. Or, but it's positive. We'll be like, "Oh shit! Like, do you see that high school quarterback? He's a quarter Asian." <laughs> oh, the celebration side. You know, of it. so yeah, yeah, it's a mixture yeah, yeah. of things, I think. Um, and then you know, just general nonsense. Yeah, that that whole game of trying to sort of identify Asian athletes too Obsessed, is like. Yeah. Uh, I was floored when I realized Jordan Clarkson was Filipino. Yeah. Um, and then I also really thought Kyle Kuzma was Filipino at one point. But Kyle he's, Kuzma. he's not. So there's um. some. There's been a few. We had a joke on the shrine. Uh, Quentin Nelson, who's a guard in the Colts, who's awesome. We wrote Quentin Nelson Asian question mark. He just has narrow eyes. He's not definitely not Asian. But there's always a moment when like an Asian excels in sports where everyone in the Asian chat or our friends immediately just start googling like crazy. I think Pablo and I were confused too because Quentin Nelson did like Taekwondo or something. Mm-hmm. So we we're like, oh, there's some clues here, some breadcrumbs. <laughs> you got to look at the grandparents. Uh, tell us about moving into color commentary. Was that like a big, like a big swing? Yeah, uh, yeah. that you took. Yeah, it was a lot. Of, to be clear, we're talking about the pre- oh, yeah. preseason football. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, still, I mean, so, were you like the first Asian still American? a big deal? Uh, I don't know about. Asian American, but on television, I don't think women had done it on on TV. So you were the first woman to do, you know, NFL color commentary on <laughs> on television. Yeah, I guess. Um, That's cool. And, and there had been some Hannah Storm and Andrea Kramer do it uh, for Amazon uh-huh. streaming on Thursday nights, I think. But yeah, it was just very scary. Yeah, not something I had done before. Is it something that you were like, I no want to do this? <laughs> Yeah. Let me do this. No. There are very few <laughs> things in my life that have uh, gone that way, well, just, if that's not obvious. <laughs> you just kind of fall into things one after the uh, other. Yeah, you know, it, opportunities like that, I think, are ones that I never anticipated would be available to me. How's color commentary different from doing the analyst spot on ESPN? It's very different. So my, my normal job as an analyst, I'm just talking about like the stories of the day or if it's more football specific, just breaking down games. Mm-hmm. But you know what you're going to talk about beforehand generally. And, you know, you're not reacting to things as they happen. I mean, doing commentary in a game is the closest thing we'll get to being in the game. It's it's very, it's live and, you know, it's entirely reactive and... um it's unlike anything else we do in sports. And you have to be plugged in, and I'm sure your adrenaline's going the whole time. I'm very nervous, yeah. Do you like that part of it, being a part of the game? Like, I do. you ever want to be a part of the game and be an athlete? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be a football player when I'm I was I'm good, kid. actually. I don't know. Nobody has a visual here, but I'm, I'm not the largest 
largest person. It could be a, a diver, you know, or something. Oh, like, yeah, I can do different sports, yeah. yeah. I, I always, when I was... Speed skater. I used to play tackle football against all boys wow. in middle school before all the boys hit puberty in my town. And I always wanted to be a fullback, but then when I got into high school, my parents would not let me try out for football. Mm. And it was very sad. Stunted your career. Mm, it oh. did. It did. Fullback is I know. quite a choice. Well, in soccer, I was a sweeper. Mm. I was an enforcer. You're like gritty. I like, I like to do that. Mm. And then I played rugby for one year, which is the closest. Oh, you are the most athletic. I was a tennis player, uh, a poor one. Contact? Um, contact tennis? One, Non-contact. Of the, one of the things my dad said to me once about my tennis playing was I had just lost a really, had a really tough loss. And he said, well, you've had enough tennis lessons. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Sounds I, about right. Yeah, like you, you should have figured this out by now. Did your parents <laughs> want you to be like a star athlete? Um, you know, they just wanted me to, um, just generally like be healthy and, and, and do stuff that would be good for college and stuff. So by the way, he's not Asian American, but I probably should have said Ichiro. Ichiro. That's the guy. The one true hit king. Yes. Well, it is that time of the podcast for Bad Asian Confessions. So Bad Asian Confessions is the segment where we talk about times where we felt like a bad Asian to kind of critique the idea that there is such a thing as a bad Asian. My bad Asian confession is that I only two years ago learned that Keanu Reeves is Asian. Wait, Um, two years ago? How did you learn then? (laughs) That's when like Crazy Rich Asians and stuff came out and we were talking about famous Asian stars. And that was the first time I had thought about it. So yeah, I, I had no idea that Keanu Reeves was Asian. Yeah, sorry. Your Asian radar did not go on. It's not, I don't. It's, it's just shocking. very insensitive Asian <laughs> Honestly, radar. Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> uh, mine was uh, so I cover film. I recently covered the movie To All the Boys I Loved Before 2. Mm, I haven't seen that. Have you seen the first one? I saw the first one. Did you like it? Um, I enjoyed it. I've heard yeah. it's a lot better than the second one. Yeah, I think so too. And in the third one, which they filmed, <gasps> she goes to Korea. Oh, oh wow. Well, just like yeah, that. I'm we'll back. See, we'll see. A friend of mine texted me after I wrote about this newer second one saying that, like sharing that watching these movies was the first time that she felt this pride of, of her own like round Asian face. And it made me so overcome because when I was a kid, I remember being so self-conscious about my freakishly small nose. Mm. And I would always think my face was too flat and I would like catch glimpses of it in the the mirror and be like, why is the face, you know, like, and tug on your, and I would like pull on my nose, hoping it would grow. And that like kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Thank you. I have the, I had the same thing, but with like my sort of bulbous Asian Chinese male nose, I would like squeeze it uh, to make it smaller. The Yoshi nose, I I call it. I'm kind of, I mean, this, it's very, it's like, Charming, but also I can't be both of you guys thought you could do that to your nose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Genuinely shocked. I also stretched yeah. a lot as a kid, hoping that it would make me grow more. Well, we're definitely dispelling stereotypes about Asians and intelligence and <laughs> science. <laughs> person, so, you know, that kind of thing. Well, my parents told me that picking my nose made it big as a child. That's you know? a great parent. So I thought that by squeezing, I could make it small. So, you know, nose like flesh that. was fungible according to my childhood. So, I mean, what was your bad Asian confession? Well, my original one was that I've quit Korean lessons twice, which is bad. But I thought of another one just now, which okay. I'm scared to say. I don't really like BTS. Oh, God. I'm scared oh, that you no. said that. Oh, no. Edit it out. <laughs> no, I'm just Edit kidding. No, no. Like, I don't I'm, like. Oh, I'm a, um, listen. 
listen, I'm in my I don't 30s. like it either. Uh, I mean, I, I respect them. <laughs> I respect the BTS army. Yeah. I would never cross them, and I'm proud of what they've accomplished. Mm-hmm. But it's just not for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I, this is brave. That was a good one. We need we need more, you know, dialogue around BTS. <laughs> you know, not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> hey, listener, do you have a bad Asian confession you'd like to share with us? Call us at two one three nine eight six five six five two. That's two one three nine eight six five six five two. Maybe we'll play it on the show. And that's a wrap for episode five of Asian Enough. Thank you to Mina Kimes for joining us and thank you for listening. And before we go, I wanted to spend a couple more minutes talking about our Bad Asian Confessions segment. So the reason we created this was because we wanted to try to start a conversation about shame. And we know that shame is really difficult to talk about, but we think it's an important conversation to try to have. By making these confessions each week, we're trying to expose the contradictory and often impossible expectations that we face both from society and from each other. And we wanted to try to laugh at them because they are so often ridiculous. You know, the point is never to label someone as a bad Asian. It's to point out how silly that idea is. We called this segment Bad Asian Confessions, but it could really be called Good Asian Confessions or Normal Asian Confessions too. Because rising above the stereotypes and the expectations that are applied to you, that's something that every Asian American has to go through. And it's not good or bad, it's it's just our experience. Couldn't agree with you more, Frank. Asian Enough is hosted by me, Jen Yamato, and by Frank Shung. Our senior producer is Rena Palta. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin. Our original music was composed by Andrew Ethan. This podcast is dedicated to the memory of Lina Anwar. We love you always. Come back here next Tuesday for an interview with another amazing guest, Food Network star Jet Tila. You're never enough. When you're, you're never American enough. You're never Asian enough. And I'm Thai and Chinese, so there's two cultures I'm not enough. If you like Asian enough, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Jeff Berkshire, Reed Johnson, Shelby Grad, Camila Victoriano, and Clint Schaff. And remember, everyone, love the nose that you have. Do not try to squish or squeeze it or change it. It is perfect the way it is. I can't believe both of you guys thought you could do that to your noses. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>